0: Hey, I'm Michael Woodley, pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're going to dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. As we continue this journey in the freedom of forgiveness, if you've been with us, you know that uh, we have um, talked about beginning with just the nature of God and a God who forgives. We have talked last week about uh, bitterness and the bondage of bitterness that it can play in our life. If we are unwilling to trust God to walk in extending forgiveness to others, uh, it will put us in a place that uh, is not healthy and is not good. And And today, we're really beginning to put some rubber to the road here as we talk about what does this forgiveness look like for us to live in the freedom of forgiveness, extending it towards others. Several years ago, an 18-year-old young man sat on a stand in Dallas, Texas at the sentencing phase of a trial for a young lady by the name of Amber Geiger. Amber Geiger was a police officer with the Dallas Police Department, had Gone to her apartment after a long shift, had gone and parked in the parking garage on what she thought was the same level of the parking garage she always parks on. She didn't realize she had gone to the wrong level, and so she walked off of that parking garage to her apartment, opened the door in what she thought was her apartment, to find a man sitting on her couch, assuming that it was her apartment that this man was an intruder. She fired her gun and took his life. The devastation hit, realizing what had happened and what had unfolded, and. She went to trial for, uh, for her actions, and there in the sentencing phase, an 18-year-old young man, the younger brother of a man named Botham Jean. The young man's name was Brant Jean, and he looked at this young lady who had taken the life of his brother, and he said, I forgive you. I honestly want good for you. And those statements, they captured the attention, not just of the state of Texas, but of our country and even the world. It was incredible forgiveness that was shown in that moment. Could you have done that? That'd be really difficult, wouldn't it? But you see, it was a moment of incredible generosity and compassion and grace, and today as we dive into Matthew chapter 18, we're going to see that the expectation of our savior is that we would be that type of person. That type of person that even to the strongest offenses in our life that we would be able to show not just a generous amount of forgiveness, but as we're going to see today a radical amount of forgiveness. We're going to begin reading. We're going to look just here at the beginning at verse 21 and 22 of Matthew chapter 18. I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. It says, then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Let's pray together. Lord, today we hear what seems like an extreme call that you would give to us to be people who extend this radical type of forgiveness. And Lord, I'm keenly aware today of the depth of wounds in this room the depth of the wounds of those that are watching online today. To understand the call of asking forgiveness for a minor offense, maybe we would see it as a possibility, but for some of these major wounds in our life, it just seems unthinkable. But God, I pray today that you would open our hearts, that you would allow the callousness that exists over wounds of the past, that you allow those things to be broken up. We would see with clarity the significance of the forgiveness that you have shown us and how that relates in our ability to extend this radical forgiveness to others. So, Spirit of God, would you be at work in this time? And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Radical forgiveness. Today in this text, we're going to see that a radical forgiveness received demands a radical forgiveness extended. A radical forgiveness received demands a radical forgiveness extended. We see here in the Gospel of Matthew in verse 21, it takes us to this moment where it tells us that Peter, I believe others are around, but Peter is the one who comes and voices this question to Jesus, asking about this issue of forgiveness. Oftentimes when I think about who Peter is and the moments that we're captured of him in scripture, I see him as a Bottom of the line, do, do, do all that it takes and nothing more, just straight shooter. And so it kind of catches me and maybe you off guard today to see him expressing such generosity, to offer forgiveness to someone seven times for not just a mistake, but he says here, someone who sins against you. They willfully wrong you. And Peter's saying, what about seven times? Now we understand that number seven is the, 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 the symbolic number of perfection in scripture. But I think more important than that in this moment is to understand that in their culture, the most conservative of rabbis of the spiritual teachers would have said that it was appropriate appropriate for you to forgive three times. And after that, you no longer needed to extend forgiveness. So for Peter to come and to say, Jesus, should we forgive seven times if someone sins against us? We are seeing a generous offer here. And it is from that moment that Jesus is going to turn this generosity on its head. We know oftentimes when Jesus, when he walked among his creation, as he was teaching them, he was helping them to understand what life was like as a part of the kingdom. You look at the Sermon on the Mount and you see these pictures of him helping us to understand what the kingdom citizen's life was to be like. And oftentimes he will say, you have heard it said, but I tell you, what he's saying is this is what life is like in the kingdom. And in this moment where Peter is expressing a generous amount of forgiveness, what does he say there in verse 22? I tell you, but here is the way of the kingdom citizen. And in the place of generous forgiveness, what Jesus offers is radical forgiveness. I tell you not as many as seven, but 70 times Seven. your translation may 77 times there's some discrepancy on interpreters on if it's 77 times or 70 times 7 the point is this it is immeasurable it's immense it is infinite it is over and over again let me ask you a question have you ever experienced sticker shock in your life right you go to the car dealership you see a car you like it's like i think this is the one and then you look and you see the number and you go nope next car right Maybe you get something at the store, you bring it up to the cash register, it was hanging under one little thing that said one amount, you get there and they said that amount, and you said, nope, I'm taking it back, right? Uh, years ago, I, uh, it was two days before New Year's, two days before New Year's, the end of the year, I woke up on a Sunday, or not a Sunday morning, I woke up on a weekday morning and I had a little pain in my side. You know where this is going, don't you? I went to the doctor and they said, uh, you, you need your appendix taken out right away. So I made my way to the doctor, to the ER, to Glenwood, and, Uh, very graciously uh, was put to sleep and uh, had my appendix removed. I woke up. I don't know why. Uh, This is for free. I didn't share this with other services. When I woke up, they had put me in the pediatric wing. (laughs) I'm serious. I woke up. I opened my eyes from the anesthesia, and there was a butterfly painted on the ceiling. And I thought, (laughs) I didn't think this is what glory looked like, but apparently I'm there. But I woke up and, uh, and, and thankful for nurses that took care of me and recovered. Everything was good. SEVERAL WEEKS LATER, I GET THE MAIL, AND I OPEN THE MAIL, AND IT'S A BILL FOR SEVERAL THOUSANDS OF DOLLARS, I MEAN A LOT OF MONEY. WELL, WE HAVE INSURANCE, AND SO WHEN I OPENED IT, I WAS COMPLETELY SHOCKED. WHAT IN THE WORLD? WHY WOULD I OWE THOUSANDS OF DOLLARS? WELL, THE INSURANCE COMPANY HAD DECIDED THAT BECAUSE I'D ALREADY MET MY DEDUCTIBLE, AND BECAUSE THIS WAS ONLY A COUPLE OF DAYS BEFORE THE NEW YEAR, THIS WAS AN ELECTIVE SURGERY THAT I HAD DECIDED TO HAVE. (laughs) YOU UNDERSTAND. I don't live my life that way, thinking, hmm, nothing's really going on between Christmas and New Year's. Let's just take the appendix out, right? (laughs) And so thankfully, after some phone calls and some emails, that got taken care of, and insurance covered it. But there was that sticker shock moment of, "Whoa, that ain't happening for me, right? And I just wonder for Peter and for those listening, and maybe for you today, that you hear Jesus say, no. The forgiveness of the kingdom citizenships, it's radical. It is radical. It is immeasurable. And you think, how could, how could I do that? How? Michael, you don't understand the depth of the wound in my life. You don't know the amount of wounds in my life. Like There is no way that I could live up to the expectation that Jesus has for the kingdom citizen here. And he understands that. And that's why here he's going to give us this parable, an earthly story with a spiritual meaning, a story that he would tell that would include characters and situations and events that are helping to teach a significant point. For our lives. And in this parable that he's going to tell here of the unforgiving servant, it's going to show us that truly that radical forgiveness received demands radical forgiveness extended. Look with me here at this parable, verse 23 through verse 27. The first point is this, God's compassion provides radical forgiveness for your sin. God's compassion provides radical forgiveness for your sin. Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had to be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. And then the master of that servant had compassion and released him and forgave him the loan. This is a scandalous moment that takes place here. We find these characters of the king that represents God and the first servant. We're gonna to refer to him as the first servant because we'll see another servant here in a moment. And guess who that first servant represents? You and me. And what we find is that this servant is in a bad place, isn't he? He's in a bad place because he is in an immeasurable debt. It says here that he's in debt 10,000 talents. Now, talent was actually a weight, but it was used as a currency. And in fact, as I told you two weeks ago, in this culture, it was the highest currency that they would use. And so he's using the highest currency, and now he's going to say 10,000, which in the Greek language is the highest number that is used with just one word. In fact, it's where we get the word myriad. So Jesus here is painting this picture of the debt that exists between the servant and the king, and he is truly saying it is immeasurable. It is billions upon billions upon billions of dollars, right? So he's in a bad place because of the debt that he's in, but not just because of the debt he's in. He's in a bad place because of who he's in debt to, the king, the one who has all the authority, the one who has all the power, the one in which the kingdom sits and waits for his edicts to act. And so he's in a bad amount of debt to the worst person possible. And in that place, he cries out, verse 26 it says he falls face down before him and he says be patient with me and I will pay you what does he say there everything or all now I want you to think about the ridiculousness of this situation here's this man we don't know what type of profession he has as a servant but what we can assume is that in no way does this man have the ability to pay back everything it's impossible But yet in this place, he lays before the king and he says, be patient with me. This is the word used for, for waiting for water to boil. In a sense, waiting for the consequences to come. He's saying, would you hold off on the consequences of what I rightly deserve? Would you be patient with me until I can earn my release, until I can earn my freedom? And in that place, we see this incredible response of the king. In fact, it changes the terminology here, not just to the king, but to the master. It's showing the nature of the relationship that exists because of the indebtedness that this servant has. And it tells us here in verse 27 that the master of that servant, look here it says, had compassion, released him and forgave him of the loan. I want you to feel the weight of this moment. I want you to feel the significance of this moment, that here's this servant indebted more than he can pay. It's impossible in his own strength to to earn his way back into a right relationship with the king. And it says that the king has compassion on him. This is the same word that the gospel writers will use talking about Jesus, that when he looks out on the crowds, he sees their brokenness. He sees the reality of where sin has gotten them. He sees the lack of spiritual leadership in their lives. He says they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it says that Jesus looked on humanity and he had compassion on them. Speaking of his mercy... Speaking of his grace that he has towards you and I. He has compassion on him. And notice here, he releases him. So it goes from the place, as we saw here in verse 25, where that he could have, that he and his wife and his children, everything he had to be sold to pay the debt. So we go from punishment and consequences to now freedom and release. And this is all stemmed by the compassion by the heart of the servant. Why is this significant for us today? Because as Jesus is setting up, in a sense, this two-act play, he's starting with this place to help you be reminded of the incredible, immense forgiveness that you have been shown in your vertical relationship with God. If you remember, we talked about that, that God, if you kept record of sin, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness. Therefore, you are revered, God. The nature of who God is being a forgiving God. Jesus wants us to understand that before we start thinking about horizontal forgiveness and deciding that we can't do that, we need to have a clear understanding of the vertical forgiveness that has been shown to us in Christ. Now, I'm not going to spend significant time there because we, we really worked through a lot of that two weeks ago through Psalm chapter 130. But if nothing else, if you're here today and you've never responded to that forgiveness, I want you to know today that the picture of this parable is a great picture for us because it helps us to see you'll never do everything or anything to pay back the debt that you owe a holy God because of your sin. As foolish as it would be for this man to think that he could do it in one lifetime to pay back an immeasurable amount of money is the same foolishness that exists for you and I to think that in some way we could earn God's favor. We could never do it. But God in his compassion for you. As it says in 1 John, this is love, not that God loved us. I'm sorry, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice to pay the debt on your behalf. You have been shown incredible, matchless grace in your life. And it's understanding that is what compels us, honestly, what demands us that when we understand what we've ever received, we begin to extend it horizontally, even into the deepest wounds. The second part of this two-act play of this parable is not just understanding that God's compassion towards us, but secondly, God's call God's call is for you to extend radical forgiveness to others. That's the expectation. For those that are in Christ that have received this forgiveness from him, there is a call for us to extend it to others. Verse 29. I'm sorry. Verse 28. The servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what he was owed. And when the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. And then after he had summoned him, His master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also, verse 35, my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. So, here in Act Two, we see, in a sense, he turns the temperature up. The recognition of this first servant who has been shown incredible compassion and mercy, who's been shown pity by the king, who now goes and finds a man who owes him. And we see, don't miss the contrast here of the amount that was owed, right? 10,000 talents, an immeasurable amount here to. These denarii. This was a livable, uh, this was speaking of a day's wages. This was speaking of an amount that it would be plausible for someone to pay back. And in that situation of a man who's been forgiven much, who now stands before a man who who, uh, who owes him, we see the response. And don't miss the the relationship here from the second servant's request to the first servant. Look at me in verse 29. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. I don't think it's a coincidence that when Jesus is telling this story, he uses almost the exact phrase that is given to the one to whom they're indebted. To the one, he says, be patient with me until I can pay you back everything, which was a ludicrous request. But yet here the request of this man is one that was plausible. But he's saying, be patient with me. Would you hold off on the consequences of the actions that I deserve that I would have the ability to make this relationship right? And we see that contrary to the response of the king to the first servant, his response here is that that lacks compassion. It lacks mercy. We'd look and we see his response here. Some would look at this and say, what an incredibly harsh response. And in some way, it is harsh. But scholars tell us that, in fact, the way that this person would have responded actually would have fallen into the rights of someone to which a debt had not been paid back. Think about that. The way that this first servant is responding to the second service, yes, it lacks grace. Yes, it lacks compassion. But within the law, he had a right to do what he did. Why is that important? Because for some of you today in here, when talking about this issue of forgiveness, you want to talk about what are your rights. You want to say, well, Michael, you don't know what they did. You don't know how many times they've done it. You don't understand that anybody could have done it, but because it was this person, I will never be able to forgive them, and I have the right to feel that way. And let me tell you this, under the law, he had the right. But under grace, he didn't. Don't miss that. Under the law, he had the right to hold it against this man because of his indebtedness. But because of the grace that he had been shown, he did not have that right. And that's the point of this parable. And that's the point that I'm praying that the Spirit of God would sink deep into your heart today. You may feel today that you have a right to walk in unforgiveness towards that person, that something that happened a week ago or 50 years ago. You may feel you have that right. But if you're a believer in Christ, you may have the right by the law, but you do not have the right by grace because we have been shown radical grace and the point that he's stressing here is that if we are not extending radical forgiveness towards other there is a misunderstanding of the radical grace that has been shown to you we see it clearly in verse 33 the question that the master asked there of the servant shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as i had mercy on you the conversation here is not about rights The conversation is about grace, it's about mercy, it's about what has been shown to you and the expectation of you showing it to others. Last week, we talked, Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talking about we are to put off, we are to take off bitterness, anger, wrath, slander, these things. And then in verse 32, it's not what we're to put off, it's what we're to put on. And he says there in verse 32, to be kind and compassionate to one another, and then he says forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Paul there is complimenting what Jesus is saying here in this parable, that we forgive others because of how Christ has forgiven us. I love as C.S. Lewis says it. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We forgive the inexcusable. This is not an issue of mistakes. This is an issue of wrongs. Remember, Peter's initial question is not, how many times do I forgive the one who made a mistake that impacted me? No, how many times do I forgive the one who has sinned against me? And that's why Lewis is saying here, that as a Christian, we forgive those that have wronged us. Why? Because we know that the one that we have wronged has forgiven us. You may be sitting here today saying, okay, Michael, I understand it. What does this idea of radical forgiveness look like? And the challenge can be, and maybe the temptation can be, is that we allow that pendulum to swing really too far. And maybe some misunderstandings about what that means. And next week, I hate to to do that to you, but next week we're going to dive more in detail about what true radical forgiveness looks like. But let me give us a couple of helps today of what radical forgiveness is not. Let's not that pendulum swing too far that it's unhealthy. Let me give you five things. This is from Brad Hambrick's book, Making Sense of Forgiveness. That's a great resource for you today, Making Sense of Forgiveness by Brad Hambrick. Five things that he gives us to help us understand what forgiveness is not. He says, number one, forgiveness is not pretending that I'm not hurt. You may hear this idea of radical forgiveness today and just think, oh, well, I'm just supposed to go on with life right? Just in a sense, pretend it didn't happen and just experience life. But when we come to a place of offering radical forgiveness, what it does is it allows us to express the hurts in our life as simply that hurts and not anger and not anger, right? It means that I can say to someone that I'm going to, I'm relating to your offense towards me differently. Now I've offered that forgiveness and a hurt is a hurt and it's not leading to a place, a continual place of anger. Second is this forgiveness is not letting someone off the hook. It's not just letting them off the hook. Specifically, I would say in this moment, if there's a legal penalty or a consequence, a criminal action that's taken place. We hear, man, as Christians, we're supposed to offer forgiveness. And there even could be those that would try to manipulate a situation and say, well, if you're a Christian, you need to forgive me. And what they mean by that is you just need to let me off the hook. And listen, if there's a criminal action that has taken place, listen, there still needs to be responsibility for those actions. In fact, in that trial that took place with Amber Geiger after this moment that Brant John made these incredible comments, they interviewed his mom. And his mom said, yes, we absolutely do forgive her. She said, but that doesn't mean there is not still responsibility for her actions. That's a healthy understanding of how I can express true radical forgiveness, but at the same time, I'm not just letting someone off the hook and not being responsible for their actions. Number three, forgiveness is not making an excuse for someone. You may think that, okay, if I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to make, uh, offer radical forgiveness, and it just means that what you're doing is you're just excusing people's behavior. That's not radical forgiveness. People need to be held responsible for their actions, as I said. Number four, forgiveness is not forgetting. Now, for some of you, are like, wait a second. My grandma told me all the time, forgive and forget, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. Some of us have probably even said that before, haven't we? And Some of you are like, well, wait a second, Michael. The Bible says when Jesus forgives my sin, he takes as far as the east is from the west. Michael, I know in my Bible that it tells me that God says that I will remember your sin no more. And you're right, it does say that. But I think at times we can take that understanding or what Jesus is saying and we misunderstand it to believe that, that God has some divine amnesia. Right? We understand the Bible says that there is a day that's coming. It comes once for a man to die and then to stand in judgment. You and I will all stand before God and give an account for our life. And at that moment, it's not as though God will have no knowledge of the wrong that we have done. He will have a full knowledge of that. He'll have a full knowledge of the good that we have done. But when he says that I will remember your sin no more, he's not saying that I will completely wipe it out of my consciousness. What he's saying is that in my relationship with you, I will not treat you as if I continue to see that sin. What that means is that, for instance, when one of my children, when they mess up and do wrong, when I tell them to do not to do something, and they choose to do it. There is a wrong that exists. And we have a conversation about it, maybe there's some consequences for that. And they ask, will you forgive me? Yes, I will forgive you. And the nature of that relationship, what happens, it's not that I forgot that they didn't, they didn't come in when we asked them to come in, but because I've extended forgiveness to them, I remember that they still did that. But for the next three weeks, I don't walk around constantly uh, condescending them because, well, you know you didn't come in when I told you to. No, I'm choosing not to, I'm not treating them as, as that sin is the filter through which I view them. Does that make sense? So when we hear God say, I will remember your sin no more, he's saying in the nature of my relationship with you, I'm not going to treat you as if looking through that first filter of what you have done. I'm choosing to overlook that in a sense. And so understand if when forgiveness is not forgetting by God's grace, sometimes those wounds, he does allow us to forget them, doesn't he? Sometimes he doesn't and that's okay. Okay. The choice is, what do I do with it when that comes to mind? Do I dwell on it? (laughs) Does my productivity at work go out the window because for the next two hours, I'm just stewing over and over again? What happens? Or am I choosing to offer radical forgiveness, call it, it still hurts, but I'm going to continue to move forward. Number five is this, forgiveness is not necessarily trust or reconciliation. That may be another one that hits you kind of hard. Like, wait a second. Let me be clear. The ideal is always reconciliation, right? Scripture tells us to love one another, to be compassionate with one another, to bear one another's burdens, right? My brother's sisters to Christ, that's always the goal, but it doesn't mean that that will always be the case. For instance, we'll take, I got Justin right here. Justin, I'm gonna pick on you. I'm sorry, all right? Let's imagine that Justin comes to me and says, hey, pastor, um, can I borrow $100? I'd like to borrow $100, Sure, here's $100. He says, I'll pay you back in a week. Well, a week comes, doesn't pay me back. Two weeks comes, doesn't pay me back. Next month, I rented Justin. Hey, pastor, can I borrow $100? Yeah, Justin, you can borrow $100. Here you go. I'll pay you back next week. Next week comes, doesn't pay me back, right? Next month comes, can I borrow $100? Yeah, $100, man, here you go. Love you, Justin. Doesn't pay me back. Fourth month, fourth month comes, should I loan him $100? No. <laughs> he said yes. No. Now, let me ask you this. Can I forgive him? Can I radically forgive him for not living up to what he said he would do? Can I do that? Yes. Does that mean that I have to continue to enable what he's doing? No. You know what that's called? It's called boundaries. And Boundaries can be a very healthy thing in relationships. And some of you, I don't want you to walk out here thinking, I'm supposed to show radical forgiveness. And there's someone that continues to wound me in their actions or in their words. And I guess I just have to forgive them. And what you're doing is you're just enabling them to continue this activity in your life. Listen, reconciliation is always the goal. But it doesn't mean that you're going to enable someone's behavior that will continue to wound you or others. There is a place for boundaries in your life. We've experienced vertical forgiveness And and, and that overflows, compels, demands us to show this radical forgiveness to others. Finally, Jesus here in verse 35 is going to give us our application for this message today. He's going to give us a strong warning. Verse 35, he says again, So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Our last point here is that God's caution is that you're not exempt from offering radical forgiveness. You are not exempt. He doesn't give any qualifiers here to the depth of the sin, the rate of the sin, who the sin came from. It is a very clear call As he says here several things in the last point of application he gives. First one is this, is that every one of you, every one of you, every one of you is to forgive your brother or sister. So we're all included in it. But then secondly, he says there at the very end of that verse, that it's to be from your heart. It's to be authentic forgiveness in your heart. I think maybe a, a clear way to say this to help us understand today, kind of a takeaway here is that if I claim to be an authentic follower of Christ, like I just don't use the word Christian as something I would put on a resume, but it's true in my life. I've given my life to Jesus. I'm chasing after him the very best that I can. If I claim to be an authentic follower of Christ, then I should exhibit Christ-like forgiveness in my life. That's what he's saying. It's from the heart. It's not lip service. It's not flippant. It's not checking a box because you have to check a box. But it is authentic, soul-level forgiveness in your life. When, uh, when the disciples came to Jesus, we see this in Matthew chapter 6. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Would you help us to know how to pray? And he lays out the Lord's Prayer, which all of us, for sure many of us in here know, there's only one qualifier, or not qualifier, there's one commentary that he gives after that prayer in Matthew chapter six. And you know, after he prayed that prayer, he could have given commentary on God's holiness. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, the holiness of God. He could have talked about the provision of God. Give us our, our bread, our daily bread, right? He could have done that, but he didn't. He went to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Now, Henry, clearly today, our salvation is by grace. It is by his mercy and mercy alone. I, I don't think the point of what Jesus is saying here is that if I don't forgive my friend, I can just consider heaven a not, a, a, a not something for me. I think what he's getting to is the point here, that if you're truly in Christ, if you understand that you've been forgiven of him, then the, 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 the symptoms of that or the, 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 the exhibiting of that is going to be in how you forgive others. And if you're a person who's walking through life, who's continually, continually holding on to unforgiveness in all these areas of your life, and yet you call yourself the Christ follower, Jesus would say, you need to do some soul level evaluation. Because if you're not willing to forgive others, you clearly don't have an understanding of how Christ has forgiven you. You don't grasp the gospel. So today, I don't want you to miss the weight of the significance of this in our life. This is not something that you get to decide, "Ah, I think I'll make this a part of my life or I won't. Jesus says, no, this is central to your understanding of the gospel and Jesus' lordship in your life. And so people shouldn't be surprised that on that day, this Brant John sat in that courtroom and he looked out at this young lady who had taken the life of his older brother, I forgive you. I honestly want good for you. He went on to say that, he said, I wasn't going to say this in front of everyone, but he said, honestly, I don't even want you to go to jail. But then he said this, here's what I do want you to know. I wish that you would choose Jesus. He says, in fact, I know that's what my brother would want. My brother would want you to choose Jesus. And so a world looks at this situation and goes, how could a man offer this type of radical forgiveness to a lady who's taken the life of her brother? And yet for the Christian who's listening and hears him say that, it says, yep. It's because he grasps the significance of the gospel in his life. And it is the gospel, it is that vertical forgiveness that he has experienced in Christ that is allowing him at this moment with the eyes of the world watching to show radical forgiveness to others. I pray today that you would know the radical forgiveness that God has shown towards you and that today would be a next step for you in showing that radical forgiveness to others. Would you bow your heads with me today? Today I want to invite you just in this moment to have an opportunity to visit with the the King, the one to which all of us are in immeasurable debt, outside of the work of christ and right now in this moment for some in this room some that are watching online your response today needs to be god would you forgive me of the debt of my sin maybe you've been living in such a way believing that you're paying him back and you understand today there's nothing you could do even if you had a thousand lifetimes to live you could never do enough to pay back the debt that exists Right now in this moment, you can just turn your heart to God by faith and call out on His compassion, His mercy. To confess your sin before Him. To ask Him to forgive you of that sin. To turn from your sin and to put your life in His hands. Maybe today in here you recognize that there's some unforgiveness that you've been carrying. Believing that it's your right Maybe the world would say that you have the right. but The grace of God would say otherwise. And today in this moment, you just need to be honest before God and to say, God, I I need your help. Lord, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. I need your help to be able to truly experience the freedom and forgiveness, to be able to Express radical forgiveness to this person or to this situation or to these group of people. Maybe today, in the silence of this moment, you would say, Michael, there's no one that really comes to mind. And maybe your prayer today needs to be, God, would you be forming my heart in such a way that when that offense comes, before Satan allows me to hold on to it in bitterness for weeks, for months, for years, that God, my heart would be ready and that it would be prepared in understanding the vertical forgiveness, the radical forgiveness that's been received, Lord, that I would be able to quickly to show radical forgiveness to others. And so God, in this moment, we understand our need for you today. That our debt before you is great. And we're grateful that when you look on us, as we were sheep without a shepherd, lost and wondering, that you came to seek and to save the lost. You came to provide not just forgiveness, but true reconciliation with you. And so Lord, I pray for those today that today is the day that they're ready to be forgiven of that sin debt and to be made right with you. And Lord, my heart is heavy today of thinking about those here that, when Peter asked this question, Of how should we forgive the one who has sinned against us, Lord, that when we thought about the one who sinned against us, there was a name that came right to our mind. Lord, I pray that we would know that it is better on the other side of radical forgiveness than it is this side of unforgiveness. And the Spirit of God, that you would empower them. You would enable them to display that type of forgiveness that they have received to those that have sinned against them. And for all of us, God, that our hearts would be healthy before you. So when these wounds come, that we would not allow Satan to have a foothold in our life. But we would be people who are are quick to extend grace-filled, compassionate forgiveness to others. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.